This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Jean Gray, and I pretty much do everything, except operate heavy machinery. My first song would be Save Me by the amazing Amy Mann. I first heard Save Me when I went to see the movie Magnolia, which is an amazing movie within itself and, and has so many amazing musical moments in it. But it was that one song that absolutely just stood out to me from the first few seconds. And I was like, what the hell is this? And why is it making me feel this way already? Like, I just want to start <laughs> immediately crying and I have no idea why. It was extremely melancholy and somehow managed to be hopeful at the same time. You know what it's like The long farewell Of the hunger strike Can you save me? The, the beauty of that song is not just in the writing and how simple and minimalist it is, but the exact emotion that it dragged out of me. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel right now. The chord progressions of the song were just so beautiful. It stayed as my kind of soundtrack for going around the city and being everywhere. In breakups after that, I may have sent it to people and breakups not breakups but the starts of relationships when you're kind of like oh I'm, I'm fucking damaged a little bit here's a playlist about how I feel about you it's a great song to email to people Recently, I, I became uh, Twitter friends with, with Ted Leo. Him and Amy Mann actually became a group named The Both. So 
Jonathan Colton just had a uh, eight day cruise called the Joko Cruise. I was booked as a musical guest and uh, Ted and Amy were also booked as musical guests. So I was like, fuck, going on a fucking cruise with Amy, man, what? So everybody's hanging out during the whole thing. And so I did say to her immediately, like on the second day, I was like, I just want you to know that I'm freaking out quietly inside and I absolutely love you. But I wasn't like, you fucking changed my life. So <laughs> Ted Leo actually did a acoustic version with me on stage during my set of uh, Joker from my number five album, which was amazing. And I didn't know how to ask Amy to be like, can you also sing something? Because I probably would have just thrown up. And that is not a good way to ask someone to do something, is to projectile vomit on them. If you could save me from the ranks of the freaks, the suspect they could never love anyone. So I decided against doing that and went to their performance and I was like oh man I know she's gonna sing the song I know she's gonna sing the song she's gonna sing the damn song I specifically sat in the back of the theater with my boyfriend and as soon as she started playing and I was like mm-hmm. so he grabbed my arm <laughs> I was like I'm just I'm, I'm gonna cry during this whole thing getting to see that live and kind of going through this this new relationship at this point and I think We've been very kind of balancing for each other. So a lot of times it does feel like saving the other person, not in a, I need to be fucking saved, but just in a really being there for each other and understanding each other. And it it, it was really super touching and it was a great way to finally see it. And then I was like, I'm gonna write her a long note and I'm gonna put it on the outside of her door, which I did not do. love song written in a different way with a different tone you know it doesn't come out and, and blatantly I love you I love you it's just dealing with other aspects of love and, and I think the best thing about music is that you can you can do things about the same topic all the time but it's what angle are you going to approach it from and how much are you willing to put yourself out there I'd started writing things like love song on the first album but it was definitely something that made me be like, you can go further than that. It started to give me the formula for the way that I would be able to write and able to convey that the best way. When I started to write something like Love Song, I was young and it was super detailed. And I had just discovered that even just writing all that stuff out was such a great way of doing therapy, like talk therapy. And it's not just writing it, it's the idea that you then have to also repeatedly listen to it. She grew up believing in passion and love. Was folks divorced and remarried. Very naive. See 
life and commitments that should have been dead and buried highly sentimental sensitive gentle beyond the point she should be what might be obvious to most she says they too bitter can't see the world the way she does clean lungs undamaged liver sees thugs through a pink tinted glasses occasionally weed does make a giggle listen to some music closer dudes approach her lightly want to be a lover and she obliges likes to cuddle under the covers by candle at fires i am originally from cape town south africa my parents self-exiled to New York City in uh, 1976. The Soweto riots had just happened in South Africa, and as musicians and jazz musicians, they had been finally getting opportunities to travel overseas and do other things. Lived in Europe, um, lived a bunch of other places, and decided that this was kind of the, the turning moment where, you know, we're not going to live here anymore, and we're definitely not going to let our children grow up in this environment. So... We're going to leave everything and make a new life for ourselves in New York City. I grew up in Manhattan in the Chelsea Hotel, which is always a fun thing to say to people who know where the Chelsea Hotel is. I basically say now that I'm probably the most New York that you can get. I was three months old when they moved, but definitely the visits were something that that opened my eyes to a lot of things as well as just traveling a lot because you've got parents who are on the road and do gigs and that definitely changes your life just being able to see the world at a young age being from a family of mixed heritage in in Cape Town you understand that everybody's diverse and and nobody really knows what anyone is I'm used to seeing my family look all sorts of different ways and then you come to New York and you're like oh I'm, I'm Dominican no, I'm not. I was Dominican and Puerto Rican for a lot of years. Family members would come over and they're like, why is everybody speaking Spanish to us and then yelling at us for not knowing our heritage? Very weird. <laughs> so it's, you know, kind of an, an interesting spot to be in before you actually start start to discover your own identity. And when you're going through just regular, normal, I'm trying to figure out who the fuck I am shit as a teenager and as a kid anyway, it's 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 interesting. I can't pinpoint like when I first heard hip hop or when I became interested in music. I may be able to pinpoint that my first full on hip hop album was Critical Beatdown. I think it was just always there. You know, you're in New York in the, the 1980s in Chelsea in the West Village. It's there all the time. It was just my complete environment. The West Village area really around uh, I guess that time, like 1990 through 1994, there was a huge group of friends and community, and especially clubs that were in that area, the West Side in Chelsea, that was the kind of cultural mecca for, for where you meet your, your friends. You know, I met Kuali there when we were about 12 or 13 years old or, or most. And it was at, you know, Washington Square Park, NYU area, West 4th, West 8th, actually where Fat Beats was. We didn't have malls, so I guess the city was kind of like our, our giant mall where kids just go and don't necessarily go to do anything but walk around in circles the entire time. Except our mall happened to be way, way cooler. We all were into different kinds of music. And I, I definitely think that that's what kind of pushed us to be the different artists that we were. And you find like-minded people that, you know, you can sit down and talk talk about, you know, <laughs> an Amy Mann song with or, or talk about the Tribe album that's out. We enjoyed a lot of different music without having to be kind of put into a category and have it be understood. 
The next song I would like to talk about is In a Sentimental Mood, but very specifically Duke Ellington and John Coltrane version. First off, terribly played, terribly written song. Let's just get that out of the way. And we all know those two musicians, when they get together, horrible. Duke Ellington, I'd probably been listening to at some point in the universe before I was born. And um, Duke Ellington actually uh, had a lot of ties to my parents. He had gone to see my mom in concert. I believe my parents were performing somewhere in Europe and um, was like, you know, tell her that I want to meet her, which is a crazy thing to hear at the time that Duke Ellington would like to talk to you. And so he said, I want you to join my band, which also a crazy thing to say. And uh, she was like, well, I'm kind of with this dude. So how about no? And he was like, well, how about you come and we work on some songs together and, you know, he can come too. So they ended up recording an album together called A Morning in Paris, which is um, Duke Ellington, Billy Strayhorn, my mom, and my dad is also on it. So crazy. Kudos to my mom for choosing to later make me and my brother. Thanks a lot for the life. But I don't know if I would have necessarily done that. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be today. I don't think there is one. So I remember that song from my childhood, and I remember enjoying it. Just from the first keys, just that immediate emotion and melancholy. I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. It was something that I heard my mother cover very early. And I loved the idea of having jazz standards and jazz covers where it's different people's take on it. My mom's version was always touching to me and, and I understood it probably around 30 and the Duke Ellington version and Coltrane version the same way. Coltrane and Ellington using themselves. You can hear their fucking souls as instruments. That's it. That's insane. So it also, writing-wise, having that much jazz influence and understanding that when I'm composing songs now and when I'm, I'm doing, even if it's rap songs, that it's absolutely fine to not be rapping for the whole entire song. You can have some instrumental breaks. Just relax and let the music be music. My, my dad converted and became Muslim right before I was born. 
and uh, was born with the last name Brand, and later the whole family changed it to Ibrahim. And very, very strict Muslim. Paramedians at the house, and kids pray five times a day, which was not working out well for my mom, who was definitely a free spirit. Grew up very Christian, and then kind of found her own spirituality through music. And I think she she really just left it to us to kind of figure out what it was we wanted to be. She she would love gospel music. I also found a lot of love for, for gospel music and joined the gospel choir when I first got into high school. But it wasn't about Christianity. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about that the music was so beautiful that I loved the sound of gospel chord progressions, that they just spoke to me in a way that felt right. It doesn't necessarily have to be my religion for me to understand the the beauty in a lot of it. Coltrane's Dear Lord, which is one of the most amazing songs of all time, I understand what it meant for him. And even just understanding that is enough to make it beautiful. And if anything makes you feel that way, or that's how you, you get through life and you can translate that beauty to others, then that's, that's, you can't get more spiritual than that. What my mom wasn't open to was the fact that I started going to a lot of these clubs when I was like 11 or 12. She was super strict. And let me just say this about New York. No one should have let us into those clubs. We were so young. We looked 12. That's crazy. I looked probably like 9 or 10, which is insane. Don't let children into clubs and don't let them buy 40s. and don't. But we were doing all of that. <laughs> there was this club called The Muse on... Um, Little West 12th Street, and uh, I had uh, friends who had just formed this band called the Bush Babies. They had just put out their single at that time, so they were doing really well. So I had lied and said I was going to stay over at my friend's house, which I was, but clearly her, her dad let her go. And so halfway during their performance, I see them kind of stop on stage and not rap anymore, and everybody's like, what's going on? So they're looking into the audience, and then I feel a tap on my shoulder, and it's my fucking parents. Uh, yeah. So the girlfriends I'm with, like one of them like starts to do like a mime routine and then like runs off. And the other one just starts crying and they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And they're still not rapping on stage. So now the music's just going. Everybody's looking at me. My parents drag me out of the club. Really fucking embarrassing. Get me home. There's a lot of yelling, mostly my mom. And then I remember my mom kind of just being like, I've had it, I'm going to sleep. And my dad coming back out of the room and he was like, what was that song? He was like, anything you can do, I could do better. Which was, they had done a version of that on stage. And he was like, I really like that. That was a good song. I'm sorry you couldn't stay later.
I think they definitely had very different processes. I've realized that I got a lot of my dissonant and minimalist sense of musicality from my dad. And as much as he would be praised for being, you know, genius and prolific, I really, really think my mom was so fucking amazing and so ahead of her time. She was covering these jazz standards and doing those things, but her real thing was, I want to write my original music. I'm writing my original songs. I'm doing these arrangements. I'm putting my band together. I'm singing about things that you you don't think I'm supposed to be singing about, especially for the time she was doing things. You know, nobody knew what to do with her. They're like, we have someone who looks this way and who's singing a song about Africa. You can see people in the audience be like, does not compute, does not compute. And having things said to her, like, what is this white lady on stage singing about Africa? You know, she wrote things like the Liberation Suite. And when everyone else is talking about Nelson Mandela, she's singing about Winnie. The last song I would like to talk about is Retrograde by James Blake. I was at a very good friend's house. We usually have a friend night, which we call Drink Club, where we sort of drink and, and listen to shit. We're over there, we're, we're rehearsing, we're drinking. So his girlfriend came in, we were listening to a couple of songs, and she was like, wait, I gotta play you this song, because I know you're gonna feel a way about it. So she puts the song on, and immediately, again, you know, the first few chords. And I was not familiar with James Blake at all and immediately heard his voice. And I was like, who the, what the fuck is this shit? I don't know what the fuck is gonna happen with the rest of the song, but I already have goosebumps and I don't know what to do myself. In a world you've grown, few more years to go. Don't let the fall. So be the girl you There's a transition that happens in his voice when he sings uh, We're Alone Now, and you can tell his range. And then there's this part of the song directly after that that just literally feels like the room takes off. Everything just lifts. So I went home and I downloaded the song immediately. It then remained on repeat and I started talking about it on Twitter. I, I went to go see the video and I was like, oh, please let the video be perfect. And the video was perfect. And getting the reaction from other people that I absolutely love and respect who listen to music were like, I, I almost threw myself off a building when it came on. I was like, oh, good. Okay, it's not just me.
I believe a couple of nights after that, uh, Misty Copeland was on Arsenio and she was dancing to Retrograde. And it was another perfect moment watching Misty and watching that happen because she's so amazing. In my first life, I was a dancer. That stopped when I was about 15, but I definitely thought that was going to be my career. Had a career injury. So it has been hard for years for me to go back and watch dance performances. I haven't seen a dance performance live or even, you know, on the internet. So it kind of combined two things. It's stunning, really stunning in in such a bare kind of way. That song has not a lot of lyrics in it. You can say so much more with the absence of lyrics and knowing when to pause and knowing when to take a breath. You and me and everyone we know, it was before I heard Retrograde, but I really think it's the first time that I understood how to do that. I kept coming back to it and being like, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And something was like, take breaths know when to stop. You don't have to say anything in that bar. That doesn't have to be there because the idea of the song and the emotion of the song is you're figuring out how to let something go and you don't have to fill it up with a bunch of things. So it's that space where someone says, mm-hmm, that you can leave open for them and that I can leave open for myself even when performing it. There's times when I've done that song on stage and I'm perfectly fine with it and we're having a great time and there's songs when I've broken down in the middle of that song because I'm like I needed to say this again to myself just to remind myself back here is square one like I just did the home base run without winning any bases though all basic reasoning out the window Ron Brown shit Eric Sermon style like I got kicked off a cloud method man 95 Rap references because you get them all You even get that I should have said it was 94 Hard place when you wanna still rock to it Living in my glass house steady throwing rocks through it Oh, I never stop feeling the love for you I just stop being the one for you I think too much Overanalyzing everything sucks I'm over overdramatizing everything but It's been a really rough two years for me. Um, my mom passed in August of 2013. And there have been a lot of things that I've been able to address creatively, because I've just been in a space of I don't want to wait anymore for things. Let's just go do all the things. But there haven't necessarily been too many moments where I can sit down and be like, okay, am I okay? I need to know that I'm fucking okay. So I definitely look for these spaces in music that can at least give you two minutes or three minutes to be like, oh shit, I need to be in another space right now. I need to be worried about myself. And to everyone else, you know, you're listening to music, but you're kind of in a space where you're dealing with your own shit. You're like, I fucking do need to be there for myself. Thank you, James Blake, even though I don't know you, but I needed to hear that right now. So I understand, and it means so much when people come up to me at the end of something or say, you know, you helped me through something or you, you changed my life or that show put me in a place and I know stuff I need to go do now. Because as much as people are a fan, I'm a fan of other people. Repeat after me. You and-
and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know Music matters because there is a sound and a frequency to everything. And the ability for it for myself as an artist to be able to gather up different frequencies and then make them into another one, which is sort of like cooking, or for people to understand when they hear frequencies, what it is, is so important to life. You can't go through life without hearing music even if you don't know you're hearing it. <laughs> 